Welcome to The Cauldron, a podcast hosted by Ed Bolton Greer, the creator of Ravensvale. In each episode, Ed will have free-flowing conversations about horror, life, culture, and personal growth. Expect to hear from storytellers, authors, horror experts, life gurus, thought leaders, and influencers. The Cauldron is a place where concoctions of a lot of ideas are brewed down to potions that are sometimes important and useful, sometimes eccentric and bizarre, but always just what you need. The Cauldron podcast may contain explicit language and thematic elements not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Well, hey there, family. Welcome to the Ravensville Cauldron. I'm your host, Ed Bolden Greer, and I'm joined today by my guest co-host, Jacob Garner. Hello, hello, family. This is the second episode of our new six-part series, Jacob's Haunting. As you may recall from the introductory episode last week, in the series, we're going to look at five of the darkest urban legends of Appalachia. You may also recall that my co-host, Jacob, suffers from phasmophobia. Last episode, we got to know Jacob a little bit, and mostly we learned that he's a big old Frady cat. Yep, uh, that is true. Yep. So, um, Jacob, you sound like you're a little under the weather today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's that weird El Nino weather, man, where it goes hot, then to cold, then freezing, and my poor sinuses, man. I just have a sinus infection. That's really annoying me. So, how's your holiday shopping going, Jacob? Um, it is actually scarier than the topics that we're covering right now. I, I understand that. I think my biggest complaint is the traffic, although here in Knoxville, we have it pretty good compared to like Atlanta and Los Angeles. Oh, God, yeah. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a cakewalk here. And damn, it's gotten cold. As you were saying, El Nino's really freezing my butt off. I always picture the uh, the Chris Farley El Nino. I feel like that guy is rolling over the country right now. As you know, we live in the shadow of the Great Smoky Mountains here in Knoxville, so we live in a weather bowl. So what's a weather bowl again? Well, you know, we have uh, huge hills and mountains all around us here in Knoxville, and, and the weather will either just pass by us, and everybody else gets snow, and we are dry as it can be, or or it'll just settle in, and we get just dumped on. Usually, we get dumped on with cold weather, you know? But we're lucky in Knoxville that we have pretty moderate temperatures. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm definitely getting my steps in because I am walking in between both of my closets that I keep my winter clothes in and, like, my T-shirts and stuff. <laughs> I, I understand. Uh, we jokingly say here in this area that we can experience all four of the seasons in one week. Oh, man, yeah. So, Jacob, have you seen the lights at Zoo Knoxville this year? The lights at Zoo Knoxville? Is that like the like the Brown Mountain lights or something? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, the Zoo lights are actually an event that uh, Zoo Knoxville does each year. This year it opened on Friday, November 25th, and it will continue Every Wednesday through Sunday through January 8th, uh, the lights go on from 5 p.m. until 8.30 p.m. at night. Um, Zoo light tickets are $24 for ages 13 and up, $18 for age 3 to 12, and children 2 and under are admitted free. As always at the zoo, parking is free. Tickets are available online at zoolightsknoxville.com. 
uh, or at the zoo ticket office during regular zoo hours. So it's like Christmas lights just like strung up around the animal enclosures or something? No, these are uh, fantastic light sculptures that are made out of like this satiny material and lights and it's all kinds of uh, zoo animals that are, are sculpted and also all of your uh, fantasy creatures like uh, griffins and oh. unicorns and things like that. It's uh, and, and some uh, underwater creatures as well. Uh, it is amazing. It, it sounds it is, really scary. I would hate it if our <laughs> listeners voted for me to go to the zoo in Knoxville. Uh, unfortunately, Jacob, that's not going to be on the list for them to vote for. There's one other thing I'd like to say about the zoo lights uh, here in Knoxville. If you are a member of Zoo Knoxville, you'll get $4 off your admission price. Oh. So I think that's a good incentive to go. Another benefit is that they have some really good adult beverages uh, that oh, you can man. have as you're going through the event. I knew if we talked about adult beverages, uh, Jacob <laughs> would be in. Well, before we take our deep dive into this episode, I wanted to remind everyone that next week's episode continues the Jacob's Haunting series with an episode about the Brown Mountain Lights. Jacob, uh, had you heard about the Brown Mountain Lights before we started this series? No, absolutely not. It, it actually, in fact, when you told me the name of the topic, I thought you were saying the lights themselves were brown. But I didn't realize that there was an actual Brown Mountain. Well, no. <laughs> it's an urban legend, or maybe we could say it's a group of urban legends surrounding mysterious lights that appear near Brown Mountain in North Carolina. I know, that's kind of obvious. And no one has been able to explain what they really are. The lights have puzzled people for over a century. Some say they're ghost lights. Others say they're a natural phenomena. And some say they're related to alien visitors. But what are they really? And where do they come from? In next week's episode, we'll explore the history and mystery of the Brown Mountain Lights and try to find out the truth behind this fascinating phenomena. Today, uh, we're going to talk about one of the most famous and terrifying legends of Appalachia, the Bell Witch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Bell Witch has been reported to be a malevolent spirit that haunted the Bell family of Tennessee in the early 1800s, tormenting them with strange noises, physical attacks, and even death threats. The spirit claimed to be the ghost of a woman named Kate Batts, who is said to have had a dispute with John Bell, the patriarch of the family. But was she really a witch or something else? And why did she hate the Bell family so much? In this episode, we'll dive into the history and mystery of the Bell witch and try to separate fact from fiction. So, Jacob, uh, your assignment last week was to dig into the Bell witch and the Bell witch cave. Mm-hmm. So you did your war homework. Oh yeah. Lots okay. Of it, well, why don't you tell us what you learned about the Bell Witch? Yeah. So one thing that I wanted to start with at the beginning of this episode was try to discern: is this a witch or is it more of a apparition or a poltergeist? Um, I'm sure you've done your research on it as well. Yep. It doesn't really act like a witch. So it's usually labeled as a poltergeist, and I think it'd be useful for the listeners to understand what the actual definition of a poltergeist is. A poltergeist, it comes from a German origin, uh, the phrase polter, meaning to make noise. 
and geist, meaning spirit or ghost. Unlike traditional ghostly apparitions, poltergeists are often associated with more active and sometimes mischievous behavior, which the Bell Witch definitely participates in. Reports of poltergeist activity may include objects being thrown or levitated, unexplained noises, or other disturbances, but more importantly, that poltergeists are suggested to have a presence and the ability to interact with our physical world. How does that make you feel, Jacob? It makes me a lot more uncomfortable knowing that there are different flavors of ghosts. I just kind of thought that they were all like, oh, boo, you know, and they float through a wall and that's it. Not actually, I can do physical things to you. So interacting with you makes you more nervous than just the thought of Casper. Yeah, exactly. Well, Casper is the friendly ghost. The thing about these poltergeists is that they can do stuff to me. I can do nothing to them. That's well, not seemingly, cool. yeah, <laughs> seemingly. It's an unfair advantage. So let's go ahead. I'll start at the top of what I've got. So the Bell Witch. Also, um, it's been reported at, in the first couple of newspaper articles as Old Kate Bats. So even back when this legend started to occur, people were already referring to the Bell Witch as Old Kate Bats. So uh, I just want to interject here uh we found some old archives of newspapers that were uh dating back to the 1800s that referenced the bell witch yeah so there's a couple of really cool websites i highly recommend anybody that's interested in appalachian folklore and horror to check out this really awesome website that i found on like page 27 of google late one night it's called the pine baroninstitute.com and, and we'll put the link to that in our session notes yeah and it's it's kind of like this aggregated website that this group of people have gathered actual articles published in newspapers with the time and the date and the author and everything and you get to read the firsthand eyewitness accounts with interviews and everything like that with people that traveled to the bell farm um, it, it was a huge resource for me. I actually ended up finding a lot of really cool stuff from these newspapers. I think what makes it really unsettling to me is that these people are professional journalists. Yes, I understand that they sell more newspapers with stuff that's really exciting, but at some level, they also have some kind of journalistic integrity. Well, if you think back to the 1800s, there were probably less fantastic things being reported to sell newspapers. And so we probably have a truer or more factual-based reporting system back then. Oh, yeah, yeah. And one thing, I mean, it's similar to uh, what it is right now with our phones and social media. Do we want to check the weather and read about stocks, or do we want to read about something fantastical that happened? Right, sensationalism. Yeah, yeah. So I guess... We'll just start at the beginning with it. Yeah. The Bell Witch is a famous American folk legend that originated in Tennessee in the early 19th century. The story revolves around the Bell family, particularly John Bell and his daughter Betsy, who claim to be haunted by a spirit known as the Bell Witch. The haunting reportedly began in the fall of 1817, when strange occurrences started taking place on the Bell family farm. The family while they were amongst their normal family things back then, they didn't have TV or radio, 
So while they were playing with dolls and baking cakes, they reported hearing knocking sounds on their doors and walls, along with some other unexplained noises. So, Jacob, <laughs> let me let me clear this up. So you think all they did for entertainment was play with the dolls and bake cakes? I mean, I can't think of anything else to do. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Go Continue. Maybe they told each other ghost stories. I don't know. Probably not, but go ahead. The family reported hearing sounds similar to somebody rapidly beating on their door only to fling it open when there'd be nobody there. Now, that's pretty scary to be mainly because it's not like a ding-dong ditch in a suburban neighborhood. These people are out in the woods, basically. I mean, miles from their neighbors. Right. They also said that the phenomenon escalated into physical attacks on the family members, including the children, too, uh, such as hair-pulling, pinching, slapping, uh, being poked with pins and stuff like that. Uh, that's pretty pretty gnarly. So, Jacob, we're going to take a little break here for a second yeah. and, and ask if all of that was happening to you at your house when you were there by yourself, how would you feel? Uh, I would not be living there for much longer. I would leave immediately. So, Jacob, did you know that there are ghosts that can attach to people? No. Okay, well, just keep that in mind, because it seems like John Bell might have had one of those. Well, all I'm saying is I don't even like the sound of a living person knocking on my door when I'm by myself, so I can only imagine a ghost, right? I get that. Uh, This is also a really interesting aspect of the Bell Witch. Uh, The entity allegedly spoke and interacted with the family and visitors that came to investigate, and weirdly enough, it displayed a vast knowledge of everybody's personal lives. Now, that kind of makes sense from a context of an entity haunting a family home, but the fact that it displayed a lot of in-depth knowledge with people that were sometimes not even from the United States, yet it could tell them exactly everything about their family, that just seems really, really scary considering the fact that they didn't have, like, you know, uh, Snapchat or FaceTime to then communicate or across. Google, or Google. <laughs> yeah, or Google to quickly gather this information. So uh, do you think that that was, uh, it was obviously supernatural, but do oh, you yeah. think that that was the the uh, spirit getting into their heads and knowing that stuff or just everything's out there? I kind of feel like, There was a mental aspect that this entity could exert over a lot of people, but also, I'm not really sure how ghosts work, but I would assume that they can just go wherever they want. I got you. You know? Uh, The Bell Witch was also said to have a particular animosity towards John Bell Sr., the, the patriarch of the family. And it was claimed that he became increasingly ill under the influence of this spirit, And then he eventually died in 1820 under some pretty mysterious circumstances. And then, oddly enough, the Bell Witch immediately claimed credit for his death. Um, well? So this ghost has a body count. I I see what you're saying. So, uh, the ghost spirit claiming to be Kate Batts, who had a dispute with John. Yeah. uh, Now is taking credit for his death. Yeah. Now... I did a little bit of research about that. Okay. Uh, and I found out that the ghosts claimed that they were poisoning 
John over time. Yeah. Did you find anything else out about that? So there was one random article that I found published by some gentleman outside of Nashville who traveled to the Bell Farm. He claimed that he ended up finding a vial of poison inside of the chimney. Now, the vial itself had some innate, uneasy energy about it. It was an expertly crafted glass vial, and it had a little bit of a weird substance in it. He thought maybe that could have been the poison used to kill John Bell. So in the article, he claims that he took a piece of straw and dipped it in the vial and then let a cat lick it, and then the cat died in a couple of hours. Oh. Well, I mean... So now first, this, first this of all, we've got a cat two. dying, so I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> upset about that because, as everybody knows, I love cats. But so he actually found a vial mm-hmm. in the fireplace, yes. like in the chimney yes. part. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting because how in the world would that have gotten there? Exactly. You know? And it's not like the people that were in the family, it seems like the, as this entity terrorized them, they actually grew closer together. Right. So it wouldn't explain why any of the family members would have this poison to kill John Bell Sr., let alone have the ability to craft like a decanter or whatever, this vial that it was put in. And and all of the reports that I read, John Bell was a pretty good father oh, yeah. and, and a good husband, so I, I don't think that there would be any animosity from the family. So either some external force of a person... Mm-hmm. Or a spirit. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, it was very odd. Um, so a majority of the information that we have about the Bell Witch actually comes from a book titled, quote, An Authenticated History of the Bell Witch, end quote, by Martin Van Buren Ingram. And it was actually published in 1894. This story has been passed down through generations and obviously oral tradition in the Appalachian region. It's really important uh, to note that the Bell Witch is often considered a combination of folklore, historical facts, newspaper articles, a lot of historical events all wrapped into one. And I think that the fact that there was so much coverage around it, so many articles published, such a huge national interest, it's the reason why even though these events took place more than 200 years ago, we're still talking about it today. Absolutely. It was a national phenomenon. Oh, man, yeah. Um, So one thing I think would be really fun, uh, because there's so many examples of it, is to kind of go over some of the paranormal activities that took place, because there were a lot. Absolutely. I I think the other thing that we need to look at is that, unlike today on social media and, and in our society where people make all kinds of claims, the Bell family didn't profit from making claims that they were being haunted. Like, there was no, oh, no, yeah. no motive for them to say they were had this haunting going on. There were a lot of uh, quotes that I found in newspaper articles that really read like the members of the family, again, weren't seeking sort of any fame or financial gain. They were almost just kind of like, cool, you guys are seeing this too, right? We're not right. crazy. Right. So a lot of these events that I'm going to list right now are either firsthand accounts from the Bell family or from the actual thousands of visitors that would flock to the area. 
So while there are a lot of kind of so-so claims, like seeing a rabbit run around, um, there were a lot of claims about small woodland creatures tricking people and whatnot. I decided that I would really go over some of the more like heavy hitters and stuff yeah. that people were really shook up about. I guess we'll start with some of the more benign stuff, like the strange noises. That's actually how the haunting began for the Bell family. So again, like I was saying earlier, they would knock on the doors and the walls. One thing that I thought was really kind of unsettling was that some of the noises would come from underneath the floor while the family was there. And it had a certain rhythmic and loud type of pattern to everything, to the point to where they couldn't ignore it. It wasn't like you could say, oh, I think the, the house is settling and it's creaking a little bit. It's very clearly a knocking noise. So some of the first reported things that they heard outside of the knocking on the doors and the walls was this weird gnawing sound on the beds or the sounds of dogs fighting. And they could hear the dogs fighting a couple of feet away from them, but there would be no dogs there. Chains dragging along the floor hmm. was something that was pretty common. You know, your typical ghost stuff, I guess. <laughs> Uh, there was even a report of a place close by called Springfield, Tennessee, where a house was claimed to have been haunted with a bunch of rhythmic knocking, and that 50 men of, quote, reasonable intelligence, end quote, gathered around the house to determine the source of the knocking, only to find no reasonable explanation, to which a couple of the members of that party said, this is just like what happened in the Bell Witch family farm. Yeah, I um, read an article that talked about how the Bell family had people come out to witness it so that they would be able to, as you said earlier, know that they weren't going crazy. Yeah, exactly. So to kind of expound on some of the noises and stuff, this is something that I found really interesting about the Bell Witch, that this poltergeist didn't just do physical stuff. It communicated with everybody that interacted with it, for the most part. And it definitely leans more into the mischievous aspect of the poltergeist definition, because it's reported that it would tell jokes. It would make witty, sassy comebacks. It would also give you information that only you would know somehow. And there's something that's really, really kind of unsettling to me about that, that this ghost wasn't just always, oh, I'm an entity here to terrorize you. It was kind of like an observer that just casually jumped into conversations. Looking for an opportune time. It also seems like the entity was trying to prove to people that, that it was real yeah. and that it knew stuff. There was a certain level... I think, on, on top of exerting control, that it wanted to let you know that it was in control the in entire control, time. In control, yeah. So the Bell Witch was said to have the ability to speak and engage with conversations with the living. It was apparently had an affinity to argue with people, which I find funny, and sing songs. It would also gossip about household drama with the Bells to agitate them. It was just stirring the pot for a long time with these people. Oh, like your sister said this about you. Yeah, exactly. So wow. I actually I found a claim uh, where apparently it told the members of the family that John Bell Sr. took the last of some fresh fruit that they had in the kitchen, which then caused them to all be angry at John at Bell John. Sr. Yeah, I was like, come on, man, you ate the last of the fruit. 
uh, only to later then give the fresh fruit to Lucy Bell, John Bell's wife, who apparently she seemed to really like. She really liked Lucy Bell. And apparently they asked, quote, who are you and what do you want, end quote. And apparently this is the first reported instance of the ghost communicating with them directly. It answered feebly, quote, I am a spirit. I was once very happy, but have been disturbed, end quote. In the first couple of interactions that it had with the public, it said that it was only haunting the area as a result of some native burial mound located on the property being disturbed. I don't know, via farming or something like that, which is interesting to me that if it was Kate Batts's original land on the dispute, I kind of have this intuition in my mind. I haven't found anything to support this, but maybe Kate Batts was protecting this native burial ground. So I remember my grandfather telling me a little bit of uh, history about the Bell Witch. And one of the things that he had told me that really scared me was that it wasn't so much uh, John Bell doing anything, but the Bell children had disturbed some kind of burial grounds or something that yeah. was inside a cave. Yeah, yeah. And I've actually got some information about the Bell Witch Cave that I'll go over later as nice. well. But one thing I really want to underline about the initial stages of this haunting is that it was kind of silly at first. This poltergeist, in one kind of word, was really just whimsical in the way that it annoyed the family. But as the haunting progressed, things got a lot more violent. It would even, like, sing songs, crack jokes, and really just be goofy at first. Which, if I was going to be haunted by a ghost, I would want a goofy ghost at first. Here's where things don't stay goofy, though. The physical attacks. So, members of the Bell family claimed to be physically assaulted by unseen forces. Again, it was like hair pulling, slapping, pinching on the legs and the face, other forms of aggression that were pretty, pretty intense. There was one report that John Bell Sr. wrote in a diary entry that while he was mending like a basket or something near the fireplace. He observed his children being drugged by their feet out of their bed and thrown to the floor at a very high speed, which obviously would be horrifying for anybody to see. But Betsy Bell in particular was reported to be a target of most of the physical forms of aggression. So Betsy Bell apparently was trying to cook something one day and while she was messing around with flour or something, she was pulled by her hair a couple of inches off of the floor and then dropped back down. Apparently also, while she was trying to do some sewing and mending of the family's clothes, that the pins and needles that she was using would levitate above her hand and prick her while she was trying to specifically repair John Bell Sr.'s clothes, almost as if the poltergeist was like, you can help out everybody else, not this guy. Hmm. I wonder if, because, you know, as, as we've been saying here, it started out fairly benign. I wonder if maybe John Bell insulted it, trying to get it to go away or something. I mean, I have never heard anything like that, but... I mean, I would, I would think, I don't have children, but I would imagine... That if you are a patriarch, 
you're a self-made man, you're out here on your own homestead and everything like that, to have an unseen force terrorizing your family, I would be really pissed off at that. I would be yelling at it, saying, leave me alone, stop it, you know. And I could see how that would agitate a being. And then, again, kind of what I'm seeing is that this being likes to let everybody know, I'm the one in charge, not you. Yeah, I can see that. Um, just one of the things that I had also heard uh, about uh, poltergeist and things like that is that as th they can take on other uh, entities with them. Oh, yeah. And so maybe Kate Batts kind of joined in or something with this. I don't know. It, yeah. it, it, the I progression is pretty odd. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the progression gets even worse when it comes to the physical stuff. So John Bell develops an illness in late 1819. He had a relatively healthy demeanor about himself you know he was working outside he wasn't eating mcdonald's right. obviously so he should have been relatively healthy for him to get sick in 1819 and then die in 1820 under some mysterious circumstances everybody was kind of questioning well what could have caused it had this happened in a vacuum where there wasn't a haunting it could have just been marked up as a tragedy but everybody was suspecting that when he died that the bell witch had something to do with it so According to uh, a couple of reports that I read, John Bell Sr. was referred to as Old Jack by the witch. And before he ended up coming down with this mysterious illness that would ultimately claim his life, the witch claimed that she intended to kill him and signaled this intention through repeating curses in the middle of the night, outright giving threats to the family, and giving various afflictions that a lot of people couldn't claim came from natural causes. And the story really climaxes with the Bell Patriarch being poisoned by the witch. Something that I find darkly funny about what happens next is that apparently at John Bell Sr.'s funeral, the witch interrupted the service to loudly recite a drinking song that was popular at the time, the cool thing about it was is that I actually was able to find a newspaper article that found the very simple lyrics that the witch apparently was belting out during the funeral to disturb it. The lyrics to a song called Row Me Up Some Brandy, oh. And it's a very simple song. The lyrics just go, row, 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 row. Row me up some brandy, oh. Row me up some more. And it repeated it over the voice of the preacher trying to deliver the sermon. Wow. So, I I tried to research something. I I also found that the 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 spirit kept naming him Jack. Yeah. And I tried to research some of the family lineage and thought maybe Jack uh, was a, a a relative from the past, and maybe that's how John Bell was getting all the guff from the ghost. You know oh, yeah. that it that it was. Uh, blaming him for everything from the past. But I couldn't really find a Jack in the lineage, so... I couldn't either. I wouldn't be surprised. I, I think that it's very clear that this entity hated John Bell so much that even when he was finally supposed to be at rest, she shows up and crashes the funeral. Yeah. I mean, that's some, yeah. that's some next-level dedication. That's exerting that control. Oh, man. 
Also, something that was pretty spooky to see uh, in my research was that there were a lot of times that the Bell Witch took visible manifestations that witnesses would report seeing around the Bell Farm. These included unusual animals and apparitions. Uh, the Bell Witch was said to have the ability to shapeshift and take on many forms. Important to note, the Bell Witch would not manifest itself until the lights were extinguished at night. So it seemed like it gained power from the natural lighting of the moon to really, really shake the boots of the people there. Right. At first, John Bell Sr. witnessed an apparition of a strange creature kind of resembling a dog with the head of a rabbit, which is super creepy. Bell raised his rifle and fired at the animal. He thought he hit it, but it just scampered away perfectly fine. John's son, Drew Bell, also approached an unknown bird perched on a fence that was of, quote, extraordinary size, end quote. There were also a lot of reports when witnesses would come by to the Bell Witch Farm to observe the phenomenon that they would see things like uh, elk or deer with multiple legs, an uncanny amount of legs. One even said that it looked like it was four deer standing in a train almost. <laughs> and I, the image of kind of like a deer centipede is yeah. so uncomfortable to it me. It is. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, one of the things that I found is that uh, over and over, they when they would have a fire, yeah. that smoke, black smoke would come down the chimney and into the room. Oh. And it almost had like a human shape, and it would just kind of float to the front door. Oh, my God. Yeah. Ugh. So I... I I, I can't find any explanation for that either. It's almost like it was, uh, I guess, kind of like foreshadowing that yeah. that chimney had something to do with it. Yeah. You know? Um, another thing that I found in my research was the psychic abilities of this entity. So outside of just the physical manifestations, the Bell Witch was also believed to have psychic abilities including the ability to predict future events, sort of like the Civil War that would take place just a couple of decades later. But also, and this is the more creepy part to me, it would reveal hidden information. There was a very famous account that I ended up finding. This guy was interviewed for a newspaper in the area at the time. He was an Englishman, right? He stopped by the Bell Farm after reading some of the articles in newspapers and hearing the word of mouth about what was going on, that he decided he was going to go there and offer to investigate. On remarking on his family overseas while talking to the witch, the witch apparently dropped its feeble spectral voice and started to imitate with perfect accuracy the voices of his English parents. That scared wow. the crap out of him, right? Apparently, the Englishman, very shaken up by hearing his parents' voices thousands of miles away, decided to stop the investigation that night and try to sleep, which I'm sure he did not sleep very much at all. When he did finally fall asleep, the Bell Witch woke him up very abruptly with the voices of his parents. Specifically, he said that he heard his mother asking in a very panicked voice, Who are you? What are you doing here? And then he also heard his father saying, get out, 
while trying to recite the Lord's Prayer. The Englishman obviously said, I'm out, deuces. This is the smartest <laughs> guy in the story. And he left that morning. He later wrote to the Bell family about, I don't know, a couple months, maybe a year later, in a letter that the entity had visited his family in England, apparently that night. And he very earnestly apologized for his skepticism. Wow. Now, his parents were still living, right, yes. at this time? Okay. Yes, they were. Wow, that's that's pretty spooky. Yeah. And now, that gave me cold chills. Can you imagine, just for like a split second, you're living in England. You have no idea what your son's doing in America at this time. And then you guys are just going to bed. Next thing you know, some Appalachian witch just shows up in your house like Hagrid from Harry Potter. You just <laughs> yeah. have no idea what's going on. I mean, and, and you can't call because there's no. no way to call. You can't get on the internet or anything. You just have this ghost there. Yeah, exactly. And imagine having to be the son to come back and be like, hey, I know you guys are scared. That was my bad. I, I kind of sorry about that, Mom. pissed off a ghost. Anyway, here's some apple pie from America. Sorry about that. <laughs> Blueberry pie. Oh, yeah, blueberry pie. Um, the other thing that I found kind of, I guess, that gives it more credence, it would be different if it was just the Bell family and the immediate members of the Clarksville area that were reporting this stuff. But once it gained so much traction, became nationally famous, there were a lot of people that made a pseudo-pilgrimage to the Bell farm. Right. So there are a lot of corroborating accounts that you would think at some point somebody would be like, yeah, I went there and nothing happened. You know, oh, yeah, John Bell and Betsy Bell, they pulled me off to the side and said, hey, this is a good racket. Keep it going. You know, here's some money. Nobody really did that. And it, it was really interesting that I just – this just boggles my mind. People hear about this stuff happening and their knee-jerk reaction is, oh, we got to go figure it out. You know, let's go see what's going on over at the Bell Farm. If I read that, I would have been like, where's Tennessee at? Nope, never going there. Well, that's where we're a little different because I would have been like, hey, want to go? Can you imagine just the logistics of that? Like, hey, we're going to have to hop on a horse-drawn wagon, travel days to then what? Get tormented by a ghost? Yeah, travel was not easy back then. It was a national phenomenon. There were a lot of uh, celebrities and famous people that actually traveled hundreds of miles just to go to the Bell Farm and see what they could find. Oh, yeah. Speaking of famous people, have you heard of a gentleman by the name of Andrew Jackson? You mean President Andrew Jackson? Yes, the very same. So this is also one thing that just blew my mind when I was doing research. Now, according to legend, and a couple of different various accounts from eyewitnesses and the Bell family as well. The 17th president of the United States visited the Bell Witch House during an alleged haunting. Now, from the information that I've gathered, there's a lot of different interpretations of what had happened, but this is one that I found pretty much is consistent across the board. The story goes that Andrew Jackson, along with a group of men, visited the Bell family in the early 19th century after hearing about the strange occurrences on the property. According to legend, as Jackson approached the Bell Witch property, the wagon wheels on his specific wagon locked up and would not budge, even after he had all of his men grab ropes and try to pull it. 
it would not move. This isn't like it was stuck in mud past the axle or that there were giant boulders in the way. It just stopped on the way to the bell house. At that point, Andrew Jackson was reported to have said, oh man, we've got a witch here. I'm paraphrasing, of course. (laughs) But he did say that he could sense the presence of the supernatural. The bell witch was then reported to have identified herself to Jackson, claiming to be a spirit from the afterlife. Apparently, some dude, a part of the party, was claimed to have attempted to shoot the witch when it appeared. But as he drew his rifle up and pulled the trigger, it refused to fire. After panicking and also trying to recite some scripture to it, the witch proceeded to whoop his ass in front of it. <laughs> like, just from every account that I saw, it beat him in front of his boys pretty bad. And I guess everybody was just horrified and wouldn't do anything to stop it. I, I don't blame them. And it culminated with the man being literally dragged out by his nose out the front door and thrown into the yard. And then they all left the next morning in fear. Well, I, I, in my research, I found something about that too. And I found a famous quote yeah. from Andrew Jackson. Yeah. And I'm going to quote, I'd rather face the entire British army than to spend another night with the Bell Witch. <laughs> um, and I thought that I agree. Was, yeah. No, I, yeah. I, after that had happened, you know, with his troops and, and stuff, I can see why he would say that. I mean, that just blows my mind. I, I'm seriously thinking about the context of that information. I mean, I, I, I try to put it in a modern sense. Imagine if you and I were reading the news one day and we read that Obama went to a haunted house only to have the Secret Service get beat up and then thrown out the front door. That would be horrifying to read. I'm not sure about that, Jacob. Um, I, I don't think that the American public would probably think twice if Obama was out doing some ghost hunting, um, especially after all the UFO stuff that's come uh, to the forefront recently. Yeah. I think that if he was out doing ghost hunting in a tan suit, they may have something to say about it. (laughs) Yeah. So that's some of the more intense accounts that I would uh, find when doing my research this week. I will say that a lot of this heavily leaned on uh, a book published by the guy that I brought up at the top of the podcast named Martin Ingram. He published a book titled An Authenticated History of the Famous Bell Witch, He actually has a pretty interesting story as well, and I think that he definitely seems like a straight shooter, somebody that would not have lied for financial gain in particular. A little bit of a backstory on Ingram. He grew up uh, in Kentucky, where he ended up taking over the family farm in a place called, I think, Guthrie is how it would be pronounced. Guthrie, yeah. He started his own newspaper there, and he according to the community members, was an upstanding, truth-seeking man that was very passionate about what he believed. But at the end of the day, was considered a very honorable man as well. He moves to Clarksville and renames his newspaper 
uh, to the Clarksville Tobacco Leaf, which I love. That's a great name for a newspaper. Unfortunately, it was not very successful. <laughs> but then he later took a group of men to the Bell property about 75 years after the events were said to have taken place. In the introduction to the book, Ingram published a letter dated July 1st, 1891, that former Tennessee State Representative James Allen Bell of Ardevel, Kentucky, a son of Richard Williams Bell, who was also a grandson of John Bell Sr., he explained that his father met with his brother, John Bell Jr., before his death, and that they agreed he had collected some material that should not be released until the last immediate family member of John Bell Sr. had passed away, in the hopes that this would not entice the spirit to come back and haunt any of his direct bloodline. When the last immediate member of the family and youngest child of John Bell Sr., Joel Egbert Bell, died in 1890 at the age of 76, then Ingram felt safe to then publish the diary of John Bell Sr., as well as letters written from the Bell family to family members and friends. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. So he waited until Joel had passed away in order to publish those uh, documents. Yes, mainly because there was a reported account that after Betsy Bell broke off her engagement with a gentleman in Clarksville called Joshua Gardner, no relation, they apparently ceased the activity in the house or the, the entity stopped terrorizing them. It seemed like the Bell Witch was very interested in making sure Betsy Bell did not marry Joshua. Why? I can't really explain why. I would assume, I'm not sure how it would have worked, seeing how they were brothers in the family, but maybe the Bell Witch was worried that if Betsy Bell married Joshua, that they would, could keep the family homestead there, and she wanted them out. Yeah, I, I've heard that. I've I've also heard that keeping Betsy single kept her from having children, too. Oh, see? And then that way the children could never take over the farm. Right. When the engagement was officially broken off, the Bellwitch claimed that it would be back in seven years to visit the family again. And when it did, the family decided not to engage with it at the level that they engaged with it in the past. This apparently made the poltergeist not as interested in continuing the paranormal activity, and it left them alone shortly after. I guess it kind of felt unwanted. Well, from what I gather about entities and spirits, and correct me if I'm wrong, they feed off the energy of the living. Yep. And think about all of the energy that was being forced into this spirit. I mean, it was a national celebrity. It was the Kim Kardashian of ghosts at this point. Right. When even your immediate terrorized family members no longer care about interacting with this entity. It has lost its power. Well, by that time, there was probably new people from the family living in the house, kids who had grown up hearing these stories and and probably were just tired of it. Yeah. This also kind of ties into, well, where did the witch go? And there is located on the property a cave that is fed by an underwater spring that kind of hollowed it out type of thing. It's a pretty large cave, too. It's about 400, 500 feet long. I don't really know how deep it goes underground. We could find out. Ugh. Well, see, actually, I would be willing to go to this cave after the research. 
I would be less willing to actually go to the property of the Bell family farm, directly where the house is at. And here's why. So, located in Adams, Tennessee, is the Bell Witch Cave. The cave is privately owned, and tours are even given during the summer months and, surprisingly to no one, in October. The cave is located on property once owned by the Bell family. Many believe that when the witch departed, after they didn't engage with it anymore, she fled to the sanctuary of this cave. There was one particular legend in which the cave is featured, where Betsy Bell and some of her friends had gone to explore the cave when they were children. While they were there, one of the boys that was in their group crawled into a hole and became stuck. During their frantic panic of trying to get the boy out, they heard a spectral voice cry out, I'll get him out. And the boy felt hands grasping his feet, and he was pulled out of the hole. The supposed entity, still invisible, then gave, and this is funny, the young explorers a lecture on reckless cave exploring. Yeah, um, I heard something a little bit like that, or, or actually I read something a little bit about that, and that went along with the thing that my grandfather had told me, where uh, it was less friendly, and that it pulled him out and threw him down the hill. Oh, well, I mean, he got him out. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I, after doing a little bit of deep diving on the Bell Witch Cave, in my personal opinion, it kind of seems like a little bit of a like a little cash grab that they did after the fact. Because if you read a lot of the original documents covering the Bell Witch, none of them really mention the cave. So if we could go spend the night in the cave, you'd be willing to do that? I mean, being underground is kind of just spooky to me anyways. But I would actually be more willing to do it, for sure. Than Mainly to go because, spend the night at the Bell Witch well, Farm. if you go to the official bellwitchcave.com, uh, you can see that it will only cost us $19 if we go Wednesday through Thursday, $23 on Friday and Sunday. And how much is tubing? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was the other thing. We can do the investigation via tubing. Uh, the tubing is uh, in- included into the price. It's unlimited tubing as well. Oh. So, I can do a paranormal investigation from a tube, no problem. Okay, well, as long as it's in the in the summer. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know how I am about cold weather. Yeah, (laughs) not going in the water, not going in a cave in the middle of winter. Oh yeah. So I kind of want to put a bow on all of this and kind of give you sort of, I guess, my final verdict on this topic. I think that there are two explanations as to what could have caused this. If the original account is to be believed when they asked, who are you, what do you want? The Bell Witch was reported to have said, I am a spirit that was at rest. I have been disturbed. A Native American burial mound had been desecrated on this land. Now I must torment those who live on it, right? I can easily see a Native American spirit being disturbed, and then wanting to haunt the land that was wrongfully taken from her tribe or family. Her instance of tormenting John Sr., in my opinion, was because he was the man who was most responsible for maintaining control of the stolen land. And I think this would also explain why she didn't fault the wife, who she apparently seemed to favor, and some of the children who just so happened to be dragged along to live there, but would play mean jokes on them as a way to punish 
the father, again, wrestling control from him. This would also begin to explain why she lashed out at Betsy once she was planning on marrying a man named Joshua, and it would continue the exploitation of the stolen land. That's because Betsy was inheriting the property. Oh, see, exactly. So scare her off, make sure she can't get wed. Boom, no children, like you said. I can see that as being a possible explanation for it, for sure. That makes sense to me. Kate Batts, the original person in the story who was wronged by John Bell Sr., she's also identified as maybe the main witch. I think maybe her emotional power was exploited by the Bell Witch, and she may have been used as the initial conduit in which the Bell Witch came to fruition. So what you're saying is that the Bell Witch and Kate Batts are not the same person or not the same entity. I've also heard and also read a a series about that um, in which uh, the witch, uh, the Bell Witch, was a malevolent entity that used Kate Batts, living and dead, as kind of like a puppet. Yeah, yeah. Well, when you think about the similarities between Kate Batts and like a Native American spirit, Kate Batts felt like she was wronged over land. Hmm? Yeah. Seems pretty similar. Seems similar to me. So maybe the emotional outpouring, these really strong, powerful emotions, these forces, helped coalesce this spirit into the entity that then haunted the Bell family. Uh, So I think that's a really good way to wrap this up, Jacob. Uh, My last question for you, uh, after doing all this research, Mm -hmm. you said you're willing to go to the cave, but if they vote for us to go to the farm, how do you feel about that? Um, You know, I don't know. Mainly because, to me... It kind of seems like a continuation of the exploitation of the land. That they've now turned it into a tourist attraction. Mm -hmm. And if a spirit that was already felt to be wronged by the exploitation of the land, and then I show up with a fanny pack and a camera, (laughs) I'm like, oh, yeah, this is where they drug him out by the nose, click. I'm, in a sense, doing the same thing that the Bell family did, and I don't want to be drugged by my nose out the front door either. I get you. (laughs) So, um, listeners, uh, I'm just wondering, you know, I I don't live very far away from Jacob. I'm just wondering what he would do if I knocked on his door at 3 a.m. in the morning. Oh, man. No. (laughs) So... Jacob, we've reached out on social media, if you remember, uh, to the family to see if they had any questions that they may want to ask about the Bell Witch uh, this past week. And Brother Mark McPhail commented, I love hearing about the Bell Witch. Was Senator John Bell and the John Bell from the Bell Witch story the same John Bell? There was a senator named John Bell? There was. So um, I thought I knew the answer to this, but I wanted to be sure. So I dug around a little bit and found out that I was right. So, Jacob, the answer is no. Senator John Bell and John Bell from the Bell Witch story were not the same person. They were both born in Tennessee in the 1800s, but they were definitely different people. Oh, okay. Senator John Bell was a politician who ran for president in 1860 as a candidate of the Constitutional Union Party. 
a third party that appealed to conservative voters who wanted to preserve the union and avoid secession. Mm-hmm. Um, he lost later to Abraham Lincoln and later supported the Confederacy during the, the Civil War. Oh. He died in 1869. And John Bell from the Bell Witch Story was a farmer who lived near Adams, Tennessee, as you've pointed out, along the Red River. Oh, okay. Well, Jacob... How did researching the Bell Witch affect your phasmophobia? It actually kind of made it a little bit worse. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> um, I think the more disturbing aspect of this is, again, the idea that these ghosts can do stuff to me, but I can't even shoot them. I can't fight them. I can't do anything besides just leave wherever they want me to leave. And today you found out they could be attached to you. They could be attached to me. Uh, all I know is that I'm definitely thinking if I ever plan on ripping somebody off about some land, I'm going to think twice about it for sure. So, Jacob, what you're saying is that the Bell Witch and the Bell Witch Cave should definitely stay on the list. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, family, that's it for this episode of Jacob's Haunting. I'm Ed Bolden Greer. And I'm Jacob Garner. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you like what you've heard, make sure you join us next week to find out what Jacob thinks as we journey into the dark and mysterious world of the Brown Mountain Lights. And I have to be pretty transparent with you. Out of all the topics that we've listed, there's something that bothers me the absolute most about these Brown Mountain Lights. I can't place my finger on it, but it is very, very unsettling to me so i mean for better or worse ed and i will look at the first sightings the investigations the explanations and the legends that surround the brown mountain lights so join us and discover one of the most intriguing and unexplained mysteries of our time now family you adults have a few chores to do if you haven't already go on over to ravensville.com and see about doing your chores on social media follow us on all the social media platforms that we've made available just for you guys And tell your friends about us, won't you? So until next week, family, see see you you soon. The Cauldron is a production of Small Raven Media. Today's episode was hosted by Ed Bolden Greer with guest co host Jacob A. Garner. Audio engineering and sound design by Nick Devan at Nikki D Sound. Copyrighted 2023, Small Raven Media. All rights reserved. <laughs>